0: this computer. Hello, welcome back. This is Roger Royce, host of the 10,000 Startups Podcast, where every week we bring you original content with an interview of a subject matter expert on an area of law that is of high interest to startups closely held in other companies. And this week, we really have a top, an interesting topic. It's a topic that everybody's talking about. And it's one of those that the legal issues are still sort of in flux. The industry is in flux. Of course, I'm talking about artificial intelligence uh, and AI, open AI in particular. Um, we have, is it Dina or Dinah?
1: It's a Dina. I'll Dina. serve you the trouble of pronouncing my last name. It's Blickstein.
0: Dina Blickstein. She's a partner with Haynes Boone. Uh, she is an IP lawyer as well. She is very much an authority on this area of practice and then quote it and cited. it in numerous media outlets on issues around uh, uh, artificial intelligence and the law applicable to AI. So thanks for being here. And let me just kind of jump right into it. Um, You know, as a lawyer, the first thing I think about it, well, first of all, maybe a a little bit of background as to what it is, and why this has been so troublesome as a legal matter, especially as an intellectual property matter.
1: All right, so I I think before we get started, we need to figure out what type of AI we're talking about, right? So people talk about AI, it's essentially everything. It's robotics, it's generative AI. It's a a space, if you're thinking about Star Wars, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi can say that's AI, right? What we're talking about right now in the past year and what a lot of people are seeing, that's generative AI. And that's when you have these large, large language models that are being trained to predict what the next word or a sentence is, to summarize text, to create images, and all that fun stuff. Right Now, since uh, ChatGPT was released in November of 2022, generative AI has skyrocketed. And it's a point where anyone and everyone want to use it, just because it makes uh People's lives easier and allows you to perform tasks faster, right? And on top of that, there's also a creativity aspect that if you want to create a certain type of image, you can put in your criteria or text to just create, just such as, for example, create a green cat for me, and you can have a generative AI model that would do that for you. Well, let
0: me pause on that. Let's suppose I do that. Um or uh, let's make it even more pernicious than that. Let's suppose I go on, I go into one of these AI models and I say, hey, write an article for me. Uh, go out into the internet and find all this data and write a post that says a blog post for me and I'm going to post it and claim it as my own. Do I have any IP issues with that?
1: So there's, there's two IP issues that you can have, right? Uh, as a... Uh... Author, right? It's not something that you can copyright because the copyright office right now has been very clear that the works that are produced by AI models are not copyrightable. Right. The other part of it, if you're using an AI model, that model could be trained on somebody else's data because that's how AI models work. Right. During training, uh, you put as much data as you can into it in as much of a variety of data as you can right and you essentially train these models over millions of iterations until they start predicting the correct output so if that training data is copyrighted right there are chances that the output that the model would produce would also be copyrighted which would make you as an author or as the creator of the model right liable for copyright infringement
0: what does that mean to say I'm liable for copyright infringement? Does that mean I could get sued? That's
1: that exactly what it means. If you're creating content, whether it's images, songs, text, articles, that have been copyrighted by somebody else in front of the copyright office, then yes, you can absolutely be sued for copyright infringement.
0: And I suppose the damages could be pretty high, right? If we're, if, we're, if somebody is not uh, buying somebody else's forms because I'm making them available on my blog site or whatever.
1: Right. Uh, so the damages are essentially per copyright uh, per, per, each damage is per copyright, I guess entity or article, right. So if I'm uh, if I if the model created a song for me that's copyrighted for somebody else, right, I'll be liable for one instance of that song. So, I think it's about 150 to 200,000, for instance. At least that's what um, the authors have been asking from OpenAI, but there are a plethora of lawsuits that have been going on right now.
0: Oh, uh, how are they been turning out? Are they more uh, creator favorable? Or,
1: or? So, they've been popping out. Uh, there's been a lot of them that are popping out, uh, mostly in New York and California. And, right. Again, the question is, we don't know how these losses will turn out, but it's more certain than not that they will trickle up to the Supreme Court and there would be a decision at some point or another, right? Yeah. Because uh, what essentially, we know that AI models are being trained on copyrighted data, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take, for example, the um, the New York Times sued OpenAI and Microsoft late last year, right? Uh, New York Times is actually was able to reproduce instances of the articles that were created by them that, uh, that the, the chat GPT model has generated, right? So, so it
0: picked it up verbatim, text? Uh,
1: it was practically verbatim, yes. Ah. Of course, OpenAI came out with a defense saying, well, they manipulated our model to have the model generate the content. But I think at this point, both sides agree on that New York Times' articles have been used as training data, right? The question is whether it is or whether it is or it isn't a fair use.
0: Yeah, I've heard. About, that's what I always hear when people talk about copyright issues. The first thing everyone says is fair use. I can do whatever I want. What What is that? What is fair use?
1: Well, a fair use is when you can use somebody else's copyrighted content without paying for the copyright, right? And fair use is based on several factors. It's it's four factors, right? And um, some of these, for example, it's, a, it's the purpose or character of the use, right? It's uh, whether uh, the nature of the copyrighted work, right? It's how much of the work has been copied, right? Whether it was entire section or not. And then it's also the the effect on the potential market value of the copyrighted work. Right. So if you're going back to the first factor, one of the things that courts look at is whether it's for commercial use or for educational use. Right. So if it's if it's for commercial use, that factor usually goes against the copyright infringement. But if it's for educational or nonprofit purposes, it's determined to be more of fair use, just you know, to make the content available.
0: Okay, so educational—that that's a pretty obvious one, right? But commercial, I guess, is where it gets kind of iffy. If someone wants to rely on that
1: defense. That, that's right, right? And if again, if you're going back to um, to OpenAI, so, since they're in the center of a lot of these lawsuits, right? OpenAI started as a nonprofit, right? They were trying to create this model that's based on AI on the tons of, on tons and tons of data, right? for use of anybody and everybody, right? You fast forward a few years, right now they're using it for profit, right? There's still a free version that's available to the public, but there's also paid versions that people can sign on and buy and, the, and train on their data right? They can they, that they can use for commercial use.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, well, let's suppose that I'm someone who wants to use this product, But now I'm really worried about all these lawsuits because I don't want to get sued. Um, So I go to Bing Chat or or whatever it is. um, And I don't know, should I stay away from it? Do I have any protection? Can I go back to Microsoft and say, hey, look what you guys got me into?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, you know, I'll give you a typical legal answer that it depends. Mm Right. Right. So Microsoft is actually offering an now uh, indemnification agreement that if somebody is using a paid model, right, then they will indemnify them in case there's copyright infringement. Now, the same argument for OpenAI doesn't apply to the public models, right? So if you are me log into a public model, right, and then we uh, we create a copyrighted work, it, essentially we can get sued for it. But then again, right? If uh, if you are suing somebody, you also need to look at the damages, right? The suing some the the suing a private party, non business, right, or not uh, somebody who is a nonprofit makes sense, as opposed to going after big companies that are using uh, these models to make profit.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, launching a lawsuit is not a trivial thing.
1: You know, it's it's a it's
0: a big deal. It's very expensive. It's risky, of course, especially when we have a developing area of the law like this. But uh, that is actually what you're saying about the indemnity for Microsoft for a paid model. That's really kind of a brilliant business model, isn't it? It's really, it's yes, it me.
1: it is. But um, I think it I think it was a business decision on Microsoft's end, right? Because the technology is evolving incredibly quickly. And I think they're also realizing that they need to have a lot of adoption to make this technology work, right? On top of it, there's also competition from Google and Apple who are creating their own model plus a plethora of different startups. Uh-huh. So at some point, uh, I think Microsoft made a business decision whether to offer in- indemnification, right, to their business users or is buying their models. And to make sure their research and technology keeps them moving forward, rather than not do that and have people not use the model because of the potential losses.
0: Yeah that that makes that makes perfect sense, and it would certainly make me feel better as someone who might want to use this. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, in uh, one of the articles that you appear in on the uh, Ains Boone website. You talk a little bit about the concept of ethical AI. And that really caught my eye. Uh, so, so what is that? And how can a machine have ethics?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there are several components to ethical AI. And there's a lot of research going now into using the models ethically and in um, safe and trust trustworthy way, right? So the ethical component is actually using the models. For good, right? And not using the models for, for example, facial recognition that would determine how you're thinking and whether you are, or you're not, in fact, faithful to your employer, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Now, when using AI models, um, I'm sure you've heard there have been a lot of hallucination issues, which also hindered adoption. So there was a huge legal case with uh, Meta versus Avianca in New York. Where an attorney uh, used G- Chad GPT for legal research, and the model hallucinated and created the cases that did not exist, which were then cited in the brief and caught by the judge and the other party. Right. So that raises an issue of trustworthy AI models. Right. Again, if they if they hallucinate and the models are not trustworthy, that would again hinder adoption.
0: Yeah, I. I I totally get that. And that I don't want to be the Luddite here, but that's why I'm so suspicious of it. And the first thing I did, probably like everybody else, when we heard about this, is we asked them to tell us who we are. I said, hey, AI, who is Roger Royce? And the answer I came back with was kind of surprising. (laughs) It was wrong. (laughs) And I said, okay, no further questions. (laughs) But I'm sure it's going to get better. The tech is going to get better as it learns more and more. And uh, Maybe as I do more podcasts, we'll see.
1: Well, look, Roger, the way I look at it, right, um, there's public models and then there is also private models, right, that you can buy a public model and train it on your own data. So if, uh, for example, you train the model on who Roger Royce is and then ask the same question, right, the what the model would create would be a lot more accurate.
0: Yeah, and that kind of brings me to the the next thing. It's like, you know, we've had other speakers tell us that the AI really depends on the data. Um, And I keep hearing that. It's how good is the data? Uh, And one of the problems, I think, with AI is we don't, it's kind of a black box, isn't it? We don't really know what it's doing with all that data, how it's come into its decisions. And that would seem to me to be a real problem as as a lawyer, I'm thinking of fiduciary issues. So if I'm a, on a board of directors and we have an AI tool that says we should do this, but I don't know exactly how it got to that decision. And it could be in healthcare, it could be in automotive, it could be in finance. Um, I don't know. Am I protect it relying on that tool, especially what you just told me about hallucinations? So I guess the answer maybe is just to make sure you've got really good data.
1: Well, that's exactly it, right? And uh, you have to know what data the model was trained on, right? And you have to know whether you're using a public model or a private model, right? So for the private models, you can, and I mentioned this before, you can buy the model, you can train it on your own data, right? And if it's trained on your own data, the model would predict an output that you would expect. Which means it would also hallucinate less. There you go. So one thing, yeah. One thing to remember: all these models hallucinate when they encounter an example or a case that they haven't been trained on, and then they try to come up with their own conclusion.
0: Yeah. And for the audience, hallucinate in this context means exactly what it sounds like. <laughs>
1: it yeah, you- that's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds it's it's the model creating an exam a result that does not exist. You know, I'll give you an example. It's, uh, it's actually somebody else's example that I was on an AI panel on. Um, this uh, attorney decided to take a trip to Italy, and she pretty much said, give me an itinerary for a five to seven day trip in Italy. Well, the model created a city in Italy that did not exist. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, as somebody who's never been to Italy, if this is something you did not catch, you may be trying to find the city, you know, late at night on a dark road that, you know, is not really there.
0: Well, that explains why I'm having so much trouble getting my ticket to Bergadoon. but well, that's there you so getting back to the to the dark side and the hallucinations and again as a lawyer we're kind of trained to to have a negativity bias and look at all the things that could possibly go wrong. And one of the things that maybe it's even the elephant in the room is is using AI for unethical purposes, using it um uh as a security breach mechanism, just dark AI. Can can you comment? Has that been happening? Have people been using AI or companies or governments even, in ways that we would rather they not?
1: Um, that has absolutely been happening. I mean, there've been some uh, research coming out of China that I've been hearing where they would be using facial recognition and uh, sensors and biometrics to determine if one was or was not loyal to the Communist Party. right so that's just one example. Um, there've been nefarious the various uses in cybersecurity, Um, as well. And so we all know they exist, right? Right now, we don't necessarily know whether we can or cannot use them in U.S. just because there there hasn't been very little regulation on AI and the existing law does not really fit in, right? Um, The other portion to it, since we know it exists, the question becomes, do we prevent the use of AI, say, in US, right, or dark AI, knowing that it's going on elsewhere, or do we allow limited use, for example, to some military use, right, to stay at the cutting edge?
0: Yeah, I I think that it sounds to me like it's going to be a little bit kind of what we have now, sort of a competition of staying ahead of the bad guys, uh, doesn't that seem that way to you that that someone's going to launch an AI that's going to create cybersecurity risk, and someone will have to solve that problem and have an AI that will block it? Uh, I mean, I don't see. It. I mean, it's kind of what we have now without AI,
1: and I'm not. That's uh, you're absolutely right, but you know, to create AI that can block nefarious uses of AI, you almost have to become an expert in nefarious uses of AI.
0: Well, it's kind of what we see in cybercrime, right? A lot of the people that are consultants now are former criminals, realizing they can make more money uh, switching sides and wearing a white hat instead of you know, being on the dark side.
1: That's um, absolutely right. I think the differentiator here is we um, just need so much data to train AI. And a lot of times AI is as good as the data it's trained on. Right now, to get that data, but almost limits you to being a government or a huge company who is either has access or has generated that data. So, a number of players may be more limited than in some other cases.
0: Now, your personal interest in this is really interesting. And uh, I do want to mention your story. At one time, you thought about being a chess grandmaster, uh, and it was because of AI that maybe. uh, Maybe changed your career tra- trajectory. is that right?
1: Well it, it wasn't AI, but uh when I was growing up I was I was extremely interested in uh in chess. So I don't know Roger if you're aware or not like part of my background, I was uh born in a uh, former Soviet Union, and uh, my parents came here in 1980s. Right. So growing up, I played a lot of chess, as did a lot of uh, a lot of uh, other folks and the kids in in Moscow. But uh, when we came here and uh, pretty much had to start over, um, the chess stopped. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was also following what was going on with uh, Watson and Watson uh, beating Gary Kasparov in chess and really showing that, you know, computers can think as well as people, if not better.
0: Yeah. And it, and it's because of that realization. I know you're on Wall Street building these automated trading systems. And I uh, understand that you've got to jump really into the space after seeing the power. So I, so I guess the last thing I'd ask you to talk about is, I mean, how big is this going to be? Because I'm I'm old. So I've seen lots of things come along since the internet. And everybody says, this is the next internet. You know, this is going to be bigger than the internet. Remember NFTs? Bigger than the internet. So how big is uh, generative AI and large language models? How big a deal is that going to be? How much is that going to impact our lives?
1: Uh, It will be huge. Um, I think it will change the way we conduct business. It will change the way we work. I mean, like right now, I tell our clients, it's going to be the same thing as email. Email fundamentally changed how we work. You know, whether it's for better or worse, that's, uh, you know, depends on who you ask. But I think this with generative AI will be the same thing. Because it has a power to make you work faster. And once the hallucinations are solved or resolved, uh, it would also make you work more accurately. And on top of it, you can do a lot of analytics. And unlike humans, it doesn't get tired. It, you can just crunch out the examples and the briefs and the songs. right. So depending on which part of the industry you're in, uh, it would absolutely make you, your job easier.
0: You know, uh, uh, before we leave that, uh, I um, it seems to me that it, things have kind of gotten to a point. And tell me if this is true or not. But, it, but my perception is that now the AI tool is not the hard part. Like a, if a company has the data, they can go out and buy the AI tool or license it. Um, it's the data that's super important. And that's what's really valuable. I especially see that in biotech. Um, first of all, is my perception, do you think that's accurate? But more importantly, you know, is that something that we, I mean, I mean, I can imagine all the legal issues, licensing an AI system to work on our data. Is that something that's actually happening? That's going to happen? Uh, do you think that's the way the business is going to evolve?
1: Um, that is the way the business is evolving now. Right, then yeah, I can give you an example with law firms who are were very skittish about using AI, especially on client data, right, and proprietary data. But once you start talking, even to like the top one hundred law firms, some of them are actually building their own AI models, right? So they would buy a general model like ChatGPT, as an example, and then they would train it on their own data that's kept in their systems or on their clouds, which is similar to any docketing system. So at that point, they're in control of the data, right? And they can actually create models that are very useful for their works, whether it's analytics or writing briefs or even writing patent applications. Okay. So it's definitely going in that direction. We're not there yet, but I think you'll see a huge change in in the next few years.
0: Yeah, it's going in, in in that direction, as opposed to every company trying to build this themselves, right? They, they just they have the data, they can add it on. So the data is, again, I keep harping on this, but the data is going to be the super important thing here. Right,
1: right. And remember, you don't have to start training from scratch. You can buy a pre-trained model, right? That's 95% there, right? Your own personal, this is a process called fine-tuning, right? You fine-tune the trained model on your own data to make it behave as you want it to behave.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, is there any major huge area that I have I've failed to ask you about in this? Because I've come to this as a non-IP lawyer, uh, <clears throat> but kind of hitting the obvious issues. Is there another obvious issue that people ought to be thinking about, or did we cover the basics?
1: I know Roger. We definitely covered the basics. I mean, if we will cover all issues, we will be talking about AI the entire day, if if not longer. But you know, one thing that I'd always like to uh, to leave the listeners with that this tool, what AI models, will change the way you do work. It will it will be life changing. We're on the precipice. But also remember, right now the models hallucinate; they do make mistakes. So always, always, always triple check the output.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank you for being here. This is Roger Royce. I'm a partner with Haynes Boone and Palo Alto. I've been talking to Dina Blickstein, who I hope I pronounced that right, who is a a partner with Haynes Boone uh, and also an intellectual property lawyer who works quite extensively with artificial intelligence. Thank you for being here and we'll see you all next time. My
1: pleasure, Roger. Thank you for having me.